from the Latin word adventus, meaning coming or arrival. It's a time when we remember the coming of Christ to a manger in Bethlehem. His coming has brought us hope, peace, love, and joy. Throughout the Old Testament, God calls his people to joy or joyfulness. Biblical joy is different than what most people think of as joy. It's not just a happy emotion that we either feel or don't feel. It is a state of being that finds its source from God. The Bible is clear that true joy comes only from God. It's easy to be full of rejoicing when we replay the words of the angels to the shepherds that first Christmas. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. This Advent, let us remember that the joy we have in Christ is not seasonal or situational. Like the joy of the ancient Israelites, our joy is a response to what God has already done and continues to do. Today, may your joy be anchored in the knowledge that God fulfilled his promise in Jesus. This really good news can still bring great, immense joy. Well, we are wrapping up our Advent series today, and we've been going through uh, the themes of Advent, and we've been talking about what a difference Jesus' coming has made in our lives. Because Jesus came, we have hope today. Because Jesus came, we can know peace. Most importantly, we can have peace with God. Because he came, we can know what love is, right? Because we see the love of Jesus, we understand what love looks like. And finally today, we're going to focus on the topic of joy. Now, let's face it. While Advent ought to lead us to joy, for many, Christmas is a a stressful time. I used to get all stressed out. I don't anymore, all right? But for some, it's this place of just so much stress, all the things that I got to do. For others, it's a, it's a time of loneliness, right? If you've lost someone close to you, it, Christmas can be a difficult time. I know it's going to be a, a, a different Christmas for us as a family. But, but Christmas at its best, it means parties to plan, it means gifts to buy, it means meals to cook, it means long trips to take or out-of-town guests that you're hosting, and instead of bringing joy, so often Christmas can bring frustration. I heard a story about a woman who was doing some last-minute Christmas shopping, and she was at a crowded mall. That's her first mistake. She went to the mall, right? And she's in that place, and she's tired of the crowds. She's tired of standing in line. She's tired of walking down these long aisles only to find out the gift that she was looking for was sold out days before. And so her arms are full of all these bulky packages, and as the elevator doors open, it was full. Now, this is pre-COVID days, right? And so people make room in the elevator, and she kind of grudgingly gets in place, and she's upset, and she says this, whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. A few others were disgruntled, too, and they had grunted in agreement, and then somewhere In the back of the elevator came a single little voice that said, don't worry, they already crucified him. Think about it. As we walk through this Advent season, we need to remember who is responsible for this whole Christmas thing. 
And as we remember who is responsible, it allows us to focus on and see the real meaning of Christmas. It is all about how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Unfortunately, many today have Christmas without Christ, right? And so they're searching for joy in in so many other things. They're searching for joy in the shadows of Christmas without knowing the substance of Christmas. Instead of looking to Jesus, people look for joy anywhere and everywhere else. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. He's saying we let ourselves sometimes be satisfied with all kinds of things that do not give us real joy and do not give us lasting joy. An interviewer once asked the entertainer Madonna, some of you are too young to know who she is, But ask this question. They said, are you a happy person? And here's how she replied. She said, I am a tormented person. I'm wrestling a lot of demons, but I want to be happy. I have moments of happiness, and I'm working toward knowing myself, and I assume that that will bring me happiness. What a tragic statement, right? I'm working toward knowing myself, and I assume that will bring happiness. Well, here's the follow-up question that I would love to ask Madonna, 62-year-old Madonna. Can you believe that? The question I would ask her today is, well, has that brought you joy? I mean, knowing yourself now at 62 years of age, has that done it, right? Honestly, so much of the joy that people seek in our world is just a temporary escape from boredom on the one hand or suffering on the other. Eugene Peterson says it this way, the enormous entertainment industry in our land is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Wow. Why do we have so much entertainment? Because people are just looking for a fix of joy. He says, society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court gesture to divert it after an overindulgent meal, but that kind of joy never penetrates our lives. I think we could all agree this morning that our world is desperately in need of joy and it's trying to find it in more stuff, right? Just one more thing, right? Because everyone wants happiness. In fact, people do what they do for the purpose of finding happiness. People work hard to buy possessions that can make them happy. They look for happiness and entertainment and hobbies and sports and passions and on the worst side of it on addictions, right? Or like Madonna, maybe they look deep, deep within thinking maybe that's where this elusive happiness is hiding. And can I just say this is nothing new? This is nothing new. Listen to what God says about his people through the prophet Jeremiah. He says this, for my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And secondly, he says this, and they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Sounds tragic, but it's what we do today still, don't we? 
in search of joy. We hewn out our own cisterns and think, this is what's going to make me happy, and this is what's going to bring me joy, but that joy doesn't last. You know, the Word of God says a lot about joy, and the kind of joy that the Bible talks about goes deeper than any joy that this world can offer you. You see, for the world, happiness deals with happenings. For many, happiness depends on circumstances. In fact, for most people, happiness is nothing more than a temporary interruption to the boredom of life. All you parents, you've heard your kids say what? I'm bored. (laughs) I'm bored. What does that mean? It means I want some happiness and I'm not finding it right now. But godly joy and happiness is not about circumstances. Genuine joy does not depend on what is happening. Joy is an inner sense of well-being that actually has very little to do with our present circumstances. You see, the kind of joy the Bible describes, it can't be found in possessions. It can't be found in entertainment. It can't be found in looking deep within your inner self. The first line of the famous carol that we sang, Joy to the World, kind of sums it up, right? There is one reason and only one reason that we can find joy in this world. As the song says, we can have joy because the Lord has come. He's come, amen? And if you receive Christ as king in your life, he is the one who provides joy. He provides a a true and lasting joy. In the same way your body craves food and exercise and rest. Some of you like food and rest. I don't know about the exercise part, right? But your body craves those things. So your spirit craves a relationship with God. And without that relationship, your soul will become starved and restless and look for it in other things. But if we look deeply into ourselves, we will not find happiness. We will find a space that only God can fill. Now think about those Advent words that we've talked about through these weeks. Love, joy, and peace. Where else do you see those in Scripture? Love, joy, and peace. Where do we see them? Fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. You see, we can look at these words and we can be tempted to say, well, I'm lacking peace or I'm lacking joy, so let me put some more of that on. I want to be a more joyful person, right? I'm going to be determined to be that. I I want more love in my life, and so it's like adding an ornament to a Christmas tree. Let me put that on the tree. But understand, these things are the fruit of the Spirit. What Spirit? What Spirit? The Holy Spirit, right? In other words, these are things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, not just because we try to work harder to get them. Christian joy is fruit. Christian joy is not manufactured by us, but it is fruit that is produced in us as we walk in step with the Spirit of God. Now, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, if you want to turn there today, there's a great passage to go to. On Christmas morning, on Christmas Eve, my dad always had a rule. We had to read Luke chapter 2 before we opened the presents. So we were like, let's get to it. All right, you guys know the drill, right? Read through Luke chapter 2. But a beautiful passage that that gives us the story of Jesus' coming. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now this passage, we've heard it so often, right? We hear it on the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right? We've heard this passage so often that we can almost treat it as kind of cliche. But I believe this, that the angel meant what he said that night. That this message was a message of good news and, and great joy. And focusing on that great joy part, the message that the angel brought was intended, uh, among other things, to bring great joy into our lives. Yet many of us, we don't have that great joy that's spoken of. And we got to say, maybe that's a sign that we've gotten a little off track. Think about your own spiritual life. Is joy... A prominent characteristic in your life. You see, sometimes we think the most spiritual, more spiritual ones are the more somber ones, right? But I would say this, I think it's the opposite. The more spiritual you are, I think the more joyful you are. Think about it. Everyone wanted to be around Jesus. You think he was a really somber guy? I think he was full of joy. Everybody wanted to be around him. And, and so the more spiritual one is, is not the somber one. No, it's the one who can sing in the midst of a prison cell. Amen? It's the one who can rejoice in the midst of suffering. And so what about you this morning? Is joy a prominent characteristic in your life? I have to be honest. As I was writing this message, I was convicted about the lack of joy in my own life so often. And here's what it was telling me, man, I still need the Holy Spirit to continue his work in my life, right? Think about joy. I mean, is it something you even remotely expect in life? If not, consider the message the angel shared with the shepherds. Again, they said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. There was something about what the angel was about to announce that would create joy. What was it? Well, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, if you read that verse literally, it goes like this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. And then you just get three words. Three words. Savior, Christ, and Lord. The very first description of this child that was going to be born is Savior. In fact, that's exactly what the name Jesus means. It means God saves. And of course, that raises a question for us. If God saves, if, if Jesus is coming to save us, what is he coming to save us from? Well, he's coming to save us from ourselves, right? It's, it's so interesting to me that the angels appear to the shepherds who are likely raising sheep to be sacrificed in the temple. Think about it. They had this awareness of sin. They had this awareness that sin requires a sacrifice. They had an awareness, I believe, of their own sin in their lives. And, and what is sin? Sin is simply this. It's this tendency to want to live our lives apart from God. Sin at its core is a distrust of the love of God. It says, I'm not sure God loves me enough. I'm not sure he really cares for me the way I need him to care for me. So I'm just going to do things my way. And the angels appear to shepherds who are considered the outcasts of society. They were 
untrusted by many. They couldn't even uh, give a a statement in a court of law because they were untrusted. You see, the good news of, of a Savior is only good news if you first recognize that you have a desperate need. Until you recognize your need, you won't seek a Savior. And so angels appear to those who are aware of their sin and aware of their need for a Savior. And the gospel is still good news to those who are aware of their sin and aware of their desperate need. You see, not everyone would respond to the message the same way. Not everyone responds to this message the same way because not everyone wants to admit that they need a Savior. Secondly, the angel uses the word Christ. Use the word Christ. Christ means what? You know what it means? It means Messiah. Some translations have that word there. But think about what this means for the listeners. It means this, that God is keeping his promise. Think about it. God is keeping his promise. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah told of a coming Messiah. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And what a sign it's going to be. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. But there's a third description here. He's described as Savior. He's described as Christ or Messiah. And then there is this word Lord. Now, Lord is the Greek word kurios, kurios. Understand, in the first century AD, you had a number of Jews living under Roman rule, and many of them spoke Greek. In fact, for many Jews, it was their first language before they went to Hebrew school, right? They, they learned Greek. But the problem is that the sacred text of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? It was written in Hebrew. And so they need a translation into Greek so that they could be able to read it. That's the Septuagint. When you hear that word Septuagint, that's what that is. It is the Greek translation of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew text. Now, the biggest challenge in the translation of this text was, man, what Greek word are we going to use to describe the Hebrew name for God? Like, how are we going to translate the word Yahweh? And so they take the name Yahweh, and they say, what word are we going to use in Greek? And the word that they use is kurios. And so when the angel says, this child will be kurios, think about it. In the mind of a first century Jew who reads the Old Testament in Greek, they're going to say, wait a minute, hold on. You're giving this baby the same name as God. (laughs) Yes. Because this isn't just a child. This is a Savior. This is a Christ. This is the Lord himself. The angel was telling them that their joy was going to be found in this child. You see, the word joy is basically a biblical word. In the Greek, it's the word kara. It's where my sister got her name, kara. My parents had two boys, and then they had a girl, and it was like, oh, joy. right? I hope there was joy before that, but... right. Kara, it means joy. And the words joy, rejoice, and rejoicing show up in the Bible no less than 347 times. How many of you think that's important to God, that we would have joy and that we would rejoice? One scholar noted this, that there's no language that has as many words for joy and rejoicing as the Hebrew language does. No wonder the Jewish weddings are the best, right? It's always rejoicing, right? 
In, in the Old Testament, there are 27 different words that are used primarily for some aspect of joy or joyful participation in worship. Joy is something that is found in God, and that type of joy is guaranteed. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And then he goes on to explain how to do that, and he informs us, man, that if we do that, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he spends some more time telling us how to rejoice in the Lord. And he says, if we do that, then the God of peace will be with you. And then he wrote this in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 10, he says this, I Rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Wow, right? He says, I, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret. He found the secret sauce, right? says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Do you know there is a secret to being content with life? There is a secret that can help you have joy when you're faced with the needs and the difficulties of life. Well, what's that secret? Paul tells us in the next verse, this is the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, it's through Christ that I have the ability to have joy and contentment at all times. That sounds a lot like what the angels told the shepherds. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Can I just say there is something about belonging to Christ that can give you contentment. There's something about being a Christian that can give you strength for your life. But what what is it about Jesus that can do all that for us? Is it the baby in in the manger that can change our lives, eight pounds, six ounce, newborn baby Jesus? Is that it? Well, yes and no. Jesus has to come as a baby to fulfill the prophecy, but he was only a baby for a few months. I know you visit the manger every year and he's still a baby, okay? But in real life, Jesus grew up, right? And eventually he became a man. You see, it isn't about Jesus as a baby. It's about him being our Savior. It's about him being Christ, the Messiah, and our Lord. That was the message of the angels, that he would be a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But when did he become our Savior? It happened when he died on the cross. We sing of joy at Christmas, but understand it's really Jesus on the cross that is the key to our joy. It's Jesus on the cross that allows us to learn to be content. You say, well, Pastor, that sounds kind of morbid, right? How is a man hanging on a tree to die bringing you joy or contentment? Well, there's a few things here. Number one is this. You want to write this down. Jesus' death brings me joy because I don't have to be afraid of dying anymore. Think about that. I don't have to be afraid of dying anymore. Even children understand, man, there's something final about death. And so a lot of people fear death and it robs them of their joy. They'll do anything to avoid death. The French philosopher, it was Blaise Pascal, who said this, being unable to cure death, wretchedness, and ignorance, men have decided 
in order to be happy, not to think about such things, right? It's kind of like fingers in the ear. La, 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 la. I'm not going to talk about it, right? And I want to mention it. I don't want to think about death. If I don't think about it, it won't happen. I don't want to think about the wretchedness of this world or my own heart, right? If we don't think about it, we'll be okay. I just want to be happy. Let's not talk about that. But here's the thing about Christian joy. Christian joy faces those things head on. And Christian joy is based on an objective reality. It is anchored in the facts of the faith that Jesus died to conquer death. Maybe you didn't hear me this morning. Jesus died to conquer death. Amen? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 tells us this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. In other words, he took on flesh. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Think about that, a fear of death, lifelong slavery. Understand today, Jesus came not only to die for our sins, but also to rise from the dead to show us that it could be done. And that's part of the message of what we do when we become Christians. Over here we have a baptismal tank, okay? The fourth week in January, we're going to have a baptismal service. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, but you have not been baptized yet, you need to take this step, all right? Great way to start off 2021. We're going to have a class on the first Sunday of the month after both services. You can come and learn more and take part. But here's what the Bible says about baptism. When I'm baptized into Christ... I'm baptized into his death. What does that mean? It means I die with him when I went underwater. Now, if I baptize somebody, how long do I hold them under? I guess it depends on how much I like them, doesn't it, right? But, but eventually, I have to let them back up. I don't know, it's written somewhere. I gotta bring them back up, right? But, but the beauty of baptism is that it not only promises that I die when I go underwater, in other words, my sinful self is done away with, but I also rise from that watery grave to walk in a newness of life. I, I rise from the water like I'm coming out of the grave. And that's one of the cool things about baptism. It not only promises, man, that my sins are washed away, but it promises that when I die physically, the grave will not hold me down. Just like I came out of that watery grave when I was 16 years old, I'm going to rise from an earthly one one day. Scripture says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And here's what I know. I will rise from the dead. <laughs> Nothing's going to keep me in the ground. Now, secondly, understand this about Jesus' death and how it brings us joy. We know this today. Jesus' death brings us joy because it shows me that God cared for me. Shows me that God cared for me. He, he loved me enough to pay the debt for my sins. Again, that's the power of John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved. There's a really cool verse in Romans that says this, in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us some things? 
a few things? What does it say? All things. Essentially, that's telling us if he'd do that for us, if he'd give us his son, if he loves us that much, can we not trust him with our lives? How much more will he do for us? And and so we need to remember the cross because it shows us God's great love for us. There are certainly hindrances to joy in the life of the believer. But I know this, the number one hindrance to joy is forgetfulness. Psalm 103, David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? And forget not his benefits. Again and again, God's indictment against his people was, you've forgotten. You've forgotten. You've forgotten what I've done. I want to ask the question, have you lost your joy because you've forgotten something you were supposed to remember? One of the great depletions of joy is that we've forgotten what God has done for us in Christ. Why did Jesus give us communion? Does communion save us? I don't think so. Now, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you were probably taught that to some extent, right? That communion is a means of grace, that it, it is somehow saves us. We don't believe that communion saves us. We believe here that communion reminds us of who saved us, amen? Jesus gave us communion so we would never forget. He died, and he died in my place. That's grace. That's grace. It's a grace that brings gratitude, and when you have gratitude, you have joy. You you see, here's the reality. So often, church, we deplete our joy by forgetting what we should remember and remembering what we should forget, right? That's why the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He, He wants to take you back to the sins long in your past. He wants to remind you of where you've been so he can rob you of your joy. And if you don't look outside of yourself to Christ, but rather you look inward, I don't want to tell you, man, the enemy will be successful and you will lose. Because the only thing that Satan answers to and flees from is truth. Think about that. And that truth is found in Jesus. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. As we speak the truth about who we are today in Christ, the enemy has to flee. Spurgeon said this, Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, the joy of the Lord is what does the most damage to Satan's empire of anything. Think about that. The joy of the Lord is what does the most damage to Satan's empire of anything. Lastly, let me say this as we move to close today. Jesus' death, gives me joy because it declares that salvation is for all who believe. Again, God, for God so loved the world. He didn't love one particular type of people. He didn't love only the good and not those who the world would consider unworthy. And I know that goes counterculture to how most people think today. In fact, the kind of thinking that really surrounds Christmas in the secular world is that the good deserve the gifts, right? You remember the song, Santa Claus is coming to town, right? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Do you know what that means? It means that only nice people deserve a Christmas gift. It means that only the righteous are worthy 
of attention and reward, but the good news of great joy in Christ's death is that Jesus died for people who've made mistakes. You thankful for that today? Jesus died for those who have messed up their lives. He's died for those who've sinned. Jesus died for people who everyone else has given up on. You see, sin is a human condition. That's what Scripture tells us. Sin is the state of our souls before Christ saved us. And Scripture says that sin is a shared condition. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also tells us that sin is a terminal condition. The wages of sin is death. And part of the misery in the world right now for those who are lost is not knowing that they're lost. So when somebody hears guilt, sometimes people back, well, that's true for somebody else, but that's not true for me. I've lived a pretty good life. I've done the right things. But hear me today, the answer to sin and misery, the answer to the guilt in our lives is the grace of God. It's the grace of God alone. Grace can be said like this. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what we have today. We can have God's riches, not at our own expense, but at Christ's expense. By grace, we can find resurrection today in Jesus. If you're in the house today and you're in need of liberation and freedom, I want to tell you that Jesus can set you free. But without an awareness of your own sin, without a a true taking stock of your own struggles in your life, a number of things will follow. You may ask, Pastor, why do you talk so much about sin? (laughs) Why do you talk so much about sin and guilt? Listen, if I was embarrassed to talk about the notion of sin, if, if guilt and misery were removed from the message, then you could just say this morning, well, I'm a pretty good person. And if you're a good person already, then you can be led to think, what I need is a supplement and not a savior. What's a supplement? A supplement is a useful addition to an already good life, right? We take supplements. We think, my diet's pretty good, but I need a little bit more, just a little more vitamin D. A little bit more. So I take a supplement. But listen to me. The minute that Jesus becomes a supplement and not a savior, the gospel loses its power and just becomes a, a message of self-improvement. But the Christmas story shows us this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The story of Christ's coming is good news to me because I don't need a supplement. Because of my sin and because of my guilt, I need a Savior. And the only answer to guilt in my life is the grace of God given to me in Jesus Christ. And the only right response to that kind of grace is gratitude. See, a true understanding of the grace of God always evokes gratitude, and gratitude brings joy. As gratitude follows grace, joy follows gratitude. I heard one theologian say it this way, joy is the impact of the thunder of gratitude. Wow. Joy is the impact of the thunder of gratitude. I have joy. You can know joy today because the baby in the manger, he came for me. He came for you. He was born for lowly shepherds. He was 
born for mighty kings. He was born for you. He was born for me. And because he came, we can have joy. One of my favorite verses around this theme of joy is Psalm 1611. It says, you make known the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's available to you today. I want to tell you, joy is available to you today. And it's not something you have to work up and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find joy. I'm going to be a more joyful person. No, it's as you seek the Lord, as you walk by the Spirit, joy is a fruit that will be produced in your life. In John chapter 20, verse 20, we read these words. It says, they were filled with joy when they saw Jesus. This was when Jesus appeared to them after he had been raised. He appeared to his disciples. But it seems there we also have a secret for joy, don't we? It turns upon this one word, when. Notice this verse does not read, they were filled with joy when they saw themselves. They were filled with joy when they saw their bank account. (laughs) No. They were filled with joy when they saw their circumstances. No, if you look at that verse, it tells us the disciples were filled with joy when they saw Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is not only the source of our joy. I want to tell you today, he is our joy. How many joyful people do you know in your life? And here's a tougher question. Would you consider yourself to be one of them? If joy comes as a fruit of the Spirit, then we know that as we walk by the Spirit, it will continue to grow in our lives. Would you stand with me this morning? I want you to think about Advent. I want you to think about Christmas. It's coming this week, right? But think about what a great opportunity this is to grow in joy as we see Jesus for who he really is. He is a savior for those in need of salvation. He is the long-awaited. He is the promised Messiah, and he is Lord. He's seated on the throne. And so here's how I think we need to close today. I think we need to close with some singing. Amen? We need to close with some singing. I I think we need to lift our voices in joy. Charles Spurgeon said this. I read this this week. He said this of Martin Luther. And if you know Martin Luther's story, he was, man, he went through trial after trial. He was put on trial, literally. Faced some very difficult circumstances. But Charles Spurgeon said this of Martin Luther. He said, when he had been most slandered, When the kings of earth had threatened him fiercely, Luther would gather together his friends. Think about that. Gather together his friends. And here's what he would say. Come, let us sing a psalm and spite the devil. I love that. Come, let us sing a song and spite the devil. He said this. He would ever sing the most psalms when the world roared the most. Listen, I don't know what 2020 was like for you. Imagine it was unlike any other year. But we have an opportunity this Christmas. We have an opportunity right now to sing a song and spite the devil. We have an opportunity in this moment to lift our voices and declare today that the joy that we have in Jesus is an unshakable joy. And so before we leave this place, let's just begin to lift our voice. Before we even sing a song, just begin to thank him right now for that joy that he's given to you. Receive that joy. Receive that joy in this moment.